As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention Dean's anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, NBA writer at The Athletic. Here, as always, we got a lot to get into this week. We got hoops, we got COVID updates, which are no fun, but we got to get into the way that the league is getting impacted in a pretty serious way. We got a couple usual suspects on the line. Fred Katz, Wizards beat writer, East Coast representative. Fred, how are you? I'm... I am, uh, you know, trying to remember what it's like to cover NBA games, but other Fair. than that, I'm great. Fair. Yeah, I hear you. We'll get to that. Out West, we got Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer, part-time Lakers, backup, backup beat writer, uh, extraordinaire. Slaters, what up, brother? What's up? A lot of basketball. We're talking to the <laughs> listeners on a Monday when it was the MLK full slate. It's been a good yes. day of basketball. Good day of basketball. Uh, meaningful day, of course, especially in these times uh, and, and in the middle of the country. Coming to us from the great city of Houston, we have the one and only Kelly Eco, Houston Rockets beat writer. Yeah. Kelly, my guy, what's going on? What's going on, brother? <laughs> Kelly, I wish, I hope this stream shows up on the YouTube channel. We haven't decided yet if we're going to have video. I don't know what Kelly has going on. He's inside a cardboard box. He's in the studio. He's got the Beats by Dre headphones on. I mean, Kelly, if it works for you, I'm with it. But like, tell us what the setup is, you know, going on here. What do you got? So, my house has a lot of wood in it and everything echoes so when i used to do podcasts in the other office like it was like real grainy so i had to go to fedex do do a little diy project give me the, you know the sound the soundproof foam and then voila 
Budget the cuts. part I'm loving is, is you sound great. And listen, your voice is extremely familiar to me right hey. now. You and I just spent the last three, four days. Dude, I went through my call on project. It's like Sam Amick, Sam Amick, Sam Amick, Sam Amick, Sam Amick, Sergio. <laughs> and we always, right, right. NBA editor Sergio. Um, we always love having you on the pod. I think this might be like visit number two or three. So good to have you back. But, sure. uh, you know, today the topic, of course, when, where we're going to begin is all things James Harden. And I know the right. listeners, you know, who knows, maybe there's a little bit of, of Harden fatigue. This story has been front and center for the entire NBA season. But you and I, you know, after the trade to Brooklyn last week, is it Wednesday? Is that right? Yeah. When the, the deal went down. After the trade, um, you know, we wanted to kind of do in, in true athletic style uh, a deep dive to find out, you know, what was it like for James, for the Rockets in the final stretch of his time in Houston. You're talking about eight seasons in that city and a guy who went from being a sixth man in Oklahoma City to an MVP and trying to get to the top of the NBA mountain, wasn't able to get there with the Rockets. Uh, we worked hard on this story, trying to be fair, trying to uncover some new stuff. Um, but I want to have you kind of give the, the listeners, you know, the uh, the Reader's Digest version of this. You know, you know this team really, really well, right. and you know this saga really well. But, like, what were your takeaways from this story and things that, you know, maybe you didn't even know going into it that you learned? I think the biggest takeaway for me personally was how quickly uh, it turned sour. Obviously, the, the tipping point, as you should know by now, was the, the Rockets team meeting after the Lakers blowout loss. But even prior to that, like the, the three games prior where Harden's body language and his effort was, you know, all the way down, it just seemed like if he wanted to leave, you know, that was a pretty easy way to kind of telling everybody that, you know, he's he's checked out. And it's kind of ironic how Calvin Murphy, he was on the air and he got a lot of backlash for saying that he quit. Former Rocket, Calvin Murphy. And, yep. and, and he was getting a bunch of just, you know, backlash on this comment because how could you say that about, you know, the franchise cornerstone? But look, like he he checked out, and and I think from that Kelly, real real quick, yeah. sorry to, to jump in, just in case somebody, you know, if people didn't see it, it was one of those classic cases of a a TV personality not knowing that the mic was still hot, right? right. So like. They're talking about the game. They're breaking down the highlights. Calvin is is saying all the politically correct things on the air. And then as they go to cut to the break, you hear him muddle, you know, kind of mutter like he quit. And I mean, that made a difference or at least kind of resonated because of who he is and his history with that franchise. Right. And honestly, I think the most polarizing thing or the thing that stood out to me the most was the fact that you have Steven Silas, a first time head coach, who's been put in this awkward situation of trying to lead a team and also trying to manage his, you know, superstar who wants to leave. And, you know, right. he he has the meeting, he calls the meeting, and, and, you know, they make the decision that Harden, and even at this point, they're not sure when the trade is going to happen. It could happen tomorrow, it could happen next week, it could happen at the deadline. But he made the decision to keep Harden away from practice, or like away from the team at home until – they can find a resolution. And, you know, lo and behold, the next day, Harden gets traded. But just how quickly it went from Harden saying this could be something special, him looking like an MVP candidate the first three games of the year, and then just going from 100 to zero was really astonishing. Yeah, I mean, what about that for you, Kelly? And, and guys, I want you to jump in here too after this. But, like, it wasn't that long ago that James talked pretty consistently about wanting to retire with the Rockets. Right. And I know that – 
because you'd been covering his trade demand for a couple months now, yeah. maybe you get, you know, you kind of forget that part quickly. But, like, if you really kind of hit the rewind button and look back, does that part still strike you that, you know, how quickly he went it, from it, it's just one weird. Night? It's just weird knowing that, well, obviously it's different now because of COVID. Um, but, like, if we were around the locker room, it would have been super weird to see a Rockets locker room and not see James in there, you know? Like, he was kind of sure. – symbolic of that team for almost a decade and you know when, when, every time you hear players say you know I can retire here I want to play here forever on one hand you kind of take it with a, a grain of salt but with Harden it just seemed like everything in the city was for him like obviously you know he loves his social life and and everything he, he opened up a restaurant recently in Houston downtown close to the arena um, but just the way that the team was designed in his image and the organization did everything that he wanted. It felt like this was going to be the place for him to play the rest of his career. And uh, you know, it's 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 kind of it's kind of good to see that players also have their legacies. And you know, winning winning means everything to them. For certain certain players it means more than others. But right. for, for James, although he he could have done it in a much better way, much more professional way towards the end. Uh, at the end of the day, he, if he wants to win. Who, who's anywhere to say he shouldn't, you know, have that chance? He's given the city a lot. Yeah, and I think if you strip it down, it's 31 years old, never had a ring, right. and, you know, and it, it got messy, but yeah. that certainly was the driving force. What's the local vibe in Houston? Because it's just, it's funny, a lot of times from an NBA league-wide perspective, we forget, uh, you know, that a lot of sports are tied together in these yeah. cities, and I just think it's <laughs> got to be such an interesting time there when you have this Harden situation, him blasting open the Rockets, at the same time, Deshaun Watson, who, I don't know, is he a bigger star in Houston? Yeah, he seems Desha to be doing Deshaun that Watson Texas. is a bigger star, I would say. Because yeah. So what's just like the on-the-ground feel for like what is going on in that sports city? Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to curse on this show, but it's it's a it's a shit show. Let it rip, kill. It's a shit show <laughs> in Houston. Um, you, you're seeing from the fans, I, I guess, utter chaos in terms of what the hell happened from two and a half years ago until now. You know, when you see the Astros winning and the Texans have a young, bright star and the Rockets are winning, and now Harden's gone. The Astros are crumbling, and the Texans are, if they're on, already crumbled. Like, it's really crazy how quickly sports can change on you. And it just shows that, you know, if you have a window of opportunity, you have to be as aggressive as possible. You have to make all the right moves and, and do all the right decisions to get over the top because you never know when that chance will come again. Kelly, I'm curious to ask you, because cause you guys mentioned this a little bit in the story that you wrote for, for this morning. You know, obviously, James Harden is, is hardly the only change. There's the Westbrook yeah. trade, and there's the changes all across leadership right. with Daryl Morey being out and then going to Philadelphia right. and Mike D'Antoni being out as well. Right. Let's say, and I understand this probably affects the fabric of the organization in a way that kind of changes the situation a lot. Uh, and, and maybe you can't even answer this because of that. But let's say that that Daryl Morey is still there right. and or Mike D'Antoni is still there. Does this situation play out differently? They, if that's the I case? think so. If they decide, you know what, it's been weird, but let's keep D'Antoni or something like that. I think so. And that goes back to um, if you look over the NBA and sports in general, you see it's really hard to get synergy. And the Rockets were one of the few organizations. I think the Warriors like that, too, where you see 
star player, head coach, general manager are all on the same page. They all make decisions in accordance with with each other, and they all understand, you know, top to bottom what they want to do. And I think the the Mike thing was was really shocking because honestly, I think Mike leaving pushed Daryl to leave, and once James saw, you know, two of the three parts of the triangle of success, he was like, you know, if they're gone, why am I still here? And right. um, I think if you look across like other NBA teams, you'll see if there's ever a disconnect between either the star player and the coach or the star player and the general manager, if they see things differently, more often than not, you know, there's going to be, you know, a departure or two. So I think for James and for Houston in general, had those guys been there still, I think he would have – Maybe stayed a year. I give it. A, I give it a season more if he was here. If they were all still here, I think he would stick around. You know what gets lost, guys? Though in that, like the domino effect of how this whole thing went down, because, like Fred, to your question, I 100% think that you know James would still be there if D'Antoni was there, if Maury was still there. But you gotta before you get to that point, you gotta go back to when Mike decided to leave, and we wrote a lot about that at the time. It was right. again kind of messy. But one thing that honestly has been glossed over and we didn't really hit on in this piece either is that I get the sense that when you look at Mike D'Antoni and where he was at in his career, like, okay, yes, he was not happy with the lack of an extension and the negotiations hadn't gone well and the relationship with Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner, like we've written, played a part. But the glossed over part is that I do think if you if you got Mike to get a couple beers in him and talk about that Rockets roster and where this talent was going and like the, you know, where his motivation level was to remain. Uh, I think that played a part too. And so whether it was Mike leaving first and the dominoes starting from there, whatever form it all took, I do think that because they had banged their head against the wall so many times in the playoffs, there was kind of this kind of looming sense of that the end was nearing of this era. And, And Slater, you covered those, Warriors through that stretch where they are the team that kept James from achieving his professional dream. And, you know, it, it had a ripple effect on all these human beings. And, and then now we kind of see the scattershot impact on, on the arc of their career. Yeah. Um, you know, dynasties tend to do that or, you know, the end of, there's one team that's really happy at the end of the season, right? Everyone else kind of has to uh, reassess where they are. Um, I mean, you look, we go back to the Thunder. The reason why Durant was even with the Warriors was because the Warriors kind of blew up Thunder a little bit. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting kind of where this is all landing, it, especially with D'Antoni in Brooklyn. I thought that that's kind of like an interesting part of this that hasn't really been discussed much. The one thing I wanted to flip to Kelly just on the end of like the Houston style of this, I was kind of surprised that they went and got Oladipo instead of keeping Lavert. Now. The sadder part of this is what's happened with the Karis right. Levert situation, but um, where do you sense Houston's going? Like, are they trying for like a a, a quick rebuild? Do they just want to get under the luxury tax, um, or is this going to be like the long haul? Like, when's the next time we feel like Houston might be relevant? So, so it's, it's interesting. Um, for so many years, the Rockets have been known for you know their offensive ability, top five in efficiency for what five or six years. I think with Steven Silas, and he had a big part in, you know, the the decision to bring uh, Victor here. Uh, he talked about his two-way ability, and between him and John, assuming John can stay healthy, 
Uh, I think the Rockets, they want to build a defensive iten- uh, identity in terms of a backcourt that's capable of disrupting, you know, a lot of offenses in the league. If they can develop Christian Wood to a quality rim protector, I know that will take some time. Um, if they can keep Tuck around, which, you know, Lord knows what's going on over there. But I think for, si- for Steven Silas, he wants to bring a sense of versatility and he likes Victor Oladipo's ability to be put in different situations, uh, off the ball, on the ball, who can, you know, switch in a switching scheme, play traditional, you know, they can play a zone, and with John Wall, because the, the the small sample size that we've seen from John Wall this season, he has been really aggressive defensively. Um, he's looked really sharp for someone who was out for two years. So I think with Silas, he wants to kind of change the direction that the Rockets have been in, for the last couple of years, and part of that culture is is becoming, you know, a defensive stopper. So Kelly, there there are a bunch of teams that have cap space after this season, right. like a ton, and they were all saving up cap room for all these great free agents who are now not going to be free agents because they all extended. <laughs> and and now you look at the free agent landscape next summer, and it's basically restricted free agents and a lot of guys who have. Injury issues, yeah. and one of them is Oladipo. Yeah. But that being said, when you have a guy who's near the top of the list in terms of best free agents, and a bunch of teams of cap space, that dude's going to get paid yeah. probably. The Rockets, I I get the Rockets had a lot of money committed to Harden over the next two years, so it's not like they're potentially paying Oladipo if they bring him back, and they get nothing off of their books. They get the hardened money off of their books. But we talk about this team all the time as as a team as it's looked to get under the luxury tax tax the past couple of years. They have Wall's huge salary on the books. Are they? Do we even know at this point? Like, are they are they trying to give Oladipo big money? Because because chances are he's had a good year. If he keeps having a good year, he's gonna yeah. get paid. Like, are they trying to give him good big money after this I year? I think what they're trying to do is see what this group can do, at least for this season. I would say, you know, with how the era they just come from and how they're going into now, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what the roster looks like, what they can actually achieve, what their ceiling is. But for Victor, I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say the Rockets' whole plan for the future is Victor Oladipo. Like, that's just me. I'm not going to say that. But Victor is a fantastic player, and – um, as far as extensions, I think I think Rafael Stone said it uh, this weekend. He's like they're open to anything in terms of if a player wants to stay, if if they can work something out, then yeah, that they, they, they would they would hang on to him. But Victor will get paid. There's going to be a lot of teams that have, like you said, space. And if if he plays, if he can continue this season, say he averages anywhere in the range of 23, 24 points, five and five, you know, thirty five percent shooting or above from three. Uh, he will get those offers north of $30 million, $32 million. I, I could see that easily. Um, the one thing, and, and this is a, a natural segue, let's get to the other part of this trade is is kind of James in Brooklyn, is the thing that, that did kind of crack me up in the course of reporting this story, guys, is, and I used this anonymous quote from an executive that was part of this process, where they, they said that the Rockets are counting on everything blowing up in Brooklyn and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like that idea made me laugh because, you know, James and the Rockets from a management ownership level, 
they are leaving on professional terms. Both sides said, you know, no hard feelings. And, and like, we wish you well. I was like, ah, you, you don't really wish him well. Like, you need it to go really poorly in Brooklyn because you get all these first-rounders that are obviously late first. And, and that's what Houston is hoping for, that, you know, the Nets put everything on the table, mortgage their future, uh, you know, gave up control of the draft for however many years in the end. You know, and, and that – my understanding was, and partly to your question, Fred, that the Oladipo thing is on the side. They didn't feel like committing to Levert, um, and it's a, it was about refilling the shelves with those assets. You know, they lost a ton of assets in the Westbrook deal, and they want as many bites at the apple as they can get. But but again, they need the Nets to just have it fall apart in the kind of way that we know it. You know, it, it could as talented as they are, and and so we'll see where that goes. Um, Jump in, guys, on – we talked a little bit about it. Uh, well, I guess we didn't because the trade hadn't happened yet. But on the Nets side of things, I mean, maybe I got recency bias. You know, easily one of the most interesting teams that, you know, that we've had in a very long time. The Warriors were fascinating in a lot of ways. Go all the way down the line. But three superstars, you know, three enigmatic personalities. And I don't really even use that word lightly. You know, it's it's overused. But these guys are different in, in their own way. And it's not a – a value judgment either way, but um, you have Kyrie who obviously, you know, bolted out of Cleveland when he wasn't happy with being in LeBron's shadow. You know, you got James who's, you know, kind of had three co-stars in a row in Houston that he did not find a way to make it work with. And, and Slater, you know, I'll throw it to you because you know this guy so well in terms of his Warriors chapter, but the idea that Kevin Durant is, you know, is the leader in the room and the guy who, you know, I, I'll be putting my money on more than anybody else to be able to make this work because of what he learned with the Warriors. Um, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I, I think it's going to be incredibly complex between these three guys. Yeah, I, wor- I worry about Durant the least of these three, right. um, mostly because I think he's the best of these three, particularly as a two-way player. You know, when we talk about, well, can they defend? We're not really talking about can Kevin Durant defend. We're talking about can the other two defend? Um, I'm not sure when has Kyrie ever- Irving ever been the third best player on the team? Um, so that that's a different pecking order from him. Right. And then James Harden. James Harden not only was the best player in Houston, it was a James Harden ecosystem. Everything right. revolved around James Harden. Um, you Shout can't out do that Kelly with, Kelly ecosystem hey. right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, you mentioned Durant's days with the Warriors, and yet, like, I think a, a lot of times we remember them w- with how it kind of crumbled at the end. But that wasn't necessarily about the court product, right? I mean, they like they they won two titles and then would have yeah. won the third if he hadn't got hurt. Like they always succeeded on the court, really. Right. And there was some th- thorniness with like you know shot distribution and. Uh, you know, mostly it was just like media messaging and the fact that Durant never committed long term. It was one year deal, one year deal, one year deal. So right. I think he he's I think going to be fine. He's going to get his shots. He's going to do his thing. He's going to be Kevin Durant. You know, does James Harden fit back into a non-James you know ecosystem again? Like I said, and then Kyrie. First of all, Kyrie's got to get back on the court, which is a, a big thing, and then. Just him third in the pecking order, him probably third, uh, you know, as far as going to, like, touch the ball like the third most, get the third most shots. Um, I probably worry about him the most of the three. Well, and then to drill down on the topic, uh, I want to talk about sacrifice. And, and, you know, if you look at this Nets coaching staff, um, and, and I can't wait to write about some of this stuff, and there's, you know, I'm a sucker for just the human dynamics. There's so many layers to this thing. So Steve Nash 
has seen it all. Like, he's a rookie coach, and I think there's legitimate questions about can he make this thing work. But Steve Nash has tried to talk Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion off the cliff when they were pissed about not getting enough shots during the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns days. You know, oh, by the way, with Mike D'Antoni at his side, where, and I covered those teams, I know I'm dating myself, but, like, those teams, it felt like Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash, like Steve was an assistant coach. He was not the point guard. So he's seen that. Steve has seen the Lakers in 2012-13 when it didn't go well at all. When you had Kobe, Dwight Howard, Pau Gasol, again, Mike D'Antoni, you know, Mike basically rolling his eyes every time the cameras turned off at the just the shit show that that had become with egos galore, and, and that didn't work. You know what I mean? That was a, a disaster. Then you got Mike, obviously, on this coaching staff. You know, but these guys have seen the question of sacrifice before, and, you know, they've seen it where guys did what they had to do to make it work, and they've seen it when it went the other way. Um, you know, to me, that's all this is about. Because, you know, I had a guy hit me from, I guess you would say, the Durant camp that talked about how, you know, the Team USA experience that these guys have together is is the best blueprint for what they need to do here. They have some experience figuring out how to share that one ball. Um, and if they can do that, then watch out because they're going to be in the finals you know, taking a stab at, at the whole thing, but that's a huge question. You know, there, there, there was a time where James Harden used to move a decent amount off the ball. Yeah, I know we've totally put it out of our minds, but like Young's James, Young James Harden, and it wasn't just OKC James Harden. This is earlier rendition of Houston James Harden. Would he was running off of pin downs at the nail and and curling around screens and all that? Like James Harden knows how to do these things now so much of this kind of stuff is not necessarily basketball intellect it's basketball habit right and it's really really hard to break habits that you've built up after all of those years and and a lot of it is comfort too you grow comfortable doing the things that you've done and in Harden's case that's having the entire team run through you having the entire offense run through you and you having the ball all the time but but in terms of IQ, knowing how to do it, like having it actually as part of a skill set, cutting every once in a while, running off a screen every once in a while, that's possible. I'm also kind of of the belief that it could look incredibly clunky and it could technically like not work however we wanted to find not work. It's just James Harden takes his turn and Kyrie takes his turn. And I kind of think Durant is going to make it work no matter what, just because his offensive skill set is so versatile. In Golden State, I know he'd go into the occasional ISO, but he's still just like amazing off the ball. And Pretty efficient in those isolations. In. Those My isolations goodness. are, yeah. They're well, not, that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. these guys are going to want to ISO and they're going to want to run their own pick and rolls, but they're really good at doing those things. And they're going to have Joe Harris out there and they're going to have spacing around them. And, and so I, I kind of think it could look a little, my turn, your turn, and it could look ugly. And then we're going to look at the final product and they're going to have scored 131 points. Yeah. My, my question is, is do, are the egos not bruised enough with how the shots are distributed or, Hey, on this particular night, Kyrie, look, it's not the right matchup. You're not on whatever. You're going to get eight shots. You're going to score 11 points. Will you still then go on the other end and defend? Because like you said, they are going to have 
a top level offensive efficiency number, however they get there because of the talent. But do they buy into the idea of like the, 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 to win, they need to defend. I mean, every single, you know, you need to be at least in the playoffs, like a top five type defense. And they the don't have the personnel to defend, which is, you know, well, yeah, cent- they really just yeah, don't. Centers the, centers the most important position defensively uh, to a lot of people. And they traded away their best defensive <laughs> center, Jared Allen. Jordan. And, uh, yeah, DeAndre Jordan. Now, to me, that's where I'm surprised they didn't ask for PJ Tucker in this deal. Kelly, you could yeah. tell me that. Like, could they have gotten PJ Tucker in this deal? Yeah, because that, man, that would be very yeah. helpful. Um, and this wasn't even in the story, but yeah, there were there were some, I guess, if you want to call it iterations, where PJ was involved. Um, and you know, defensively for Brooklyn, obviously, if they score 130 a night, nobody's going to care if they give up 119 or something. But um, there's something that you guys talked about earlier that I wanted to touch on real quick, and it was about James. I think Fred said it. So if you go back to the bubble and you go back to the, the Lakers series at how Frank Vogel was such a mastermind in setting traps, you know, hit traps, then different doubles at different times in the shot clock and took Harden out of his rhythm, if you look at the stuff he said after that game, after game five, and the way he said, you know, before preseason – he wanted guys to be able to make plays without him. And maybe he said that because, you know, he wanted to, like, he, want, he, he wants to leave and wants guys to get comfortable without him. But I do think that there is an element of James that's like, you don't have to have a 37.8% usage rating for 82 games in a season, you know, to win a championship. And obviously, playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie makes things a lot easier. But even if you go back to his debut, like, yeah, Kyrie wasn't there, but it seemed like James's points didn't all come, you know, at different times. Like, they came in the flow of a game. He didn't force the issue. And you could say that maybe he's trying to impress his teammates or it's the first game syndrome. But I do honestly think that there will be a different Harden in Brooklyn, and that's going to piss off Rockets fans for sure. <laughs> <laughs> And I wonder, my thing is, is Kyrie, Kyrie's the guy for me that I, I have the most questions about. And partly because if you go back to his Boston chapter, right? So he tells the fans that he's going to be back. Obviously not a great move to say that publicly and then double back when it didn't go as well as you wanted. So he's got this pressure on him in terms of, you know, again, getting away from LeBron, doesn't work on his own in Boston. Now you're teaming up with Kevin at All-Star Weekend talking about possible landing spots. And this was you know, supposed to be the Kyrie and Kevin show in Brooklyn. Now, as we reported this thing the last month or so, and I want to make sure I say this accurately, I'm not saying this is the case, but there were teams involved where their intel at different times was that Kyrie didn't want Kevin to come to Brooklyn. Now, people who definitely know what's going on say that wasn't the case. But, and I don't think the trade would have happened if that was the case. But like that little seed admittedly kind of got in my mind and, and had me wondering about the Kyrie dynamic and the idea that you know now it's almost perfect that he wasn't there in James's debut in Brooklyn because uh, obviously he's still away from the team. And that's where I just wonder where his head is going to be at. I mean, Fred, you hit on it earlier. How do you go from you know essentially wanting to break free from the number two role only to, in, in relatively short order, find yourself as a number three. And then on top of that, you know, you have a lot of history between James and Kevin. These guys get on the court, and day number one, they look like they're back in OKC. 
you know, and, and comfortable with each other, know each other's games. You know, to me, Kyrie is the one that is probably worth monitoring the most as far as how he's gonna ends up fitting in. Yeah, I I honestly have no idea how that's gonna go. Like, I just I feel like whenever I ask anybody, how do you think this is gonna go? The answer is always just pulling something out of their ass. Right. How can you? How can we possibly sit here and guess how they're emotionally going to handle it? So I'm just kind of trying to sit down and try to figure out at least the basketball side, right. because I just, I just genuinely have, I have no clue how emotionally it's going to go with those three. I could see it going in any direction. I, I kind of tend to be a winning breeds chemistry over chemistry breeds winning kind of guy, and I feel like this could be one of those cases. But like, look. Hey, right, hey, man, covering Ky- the Kyrie's- What the hell you know about winning? <laughs> he, hey, he, Kyrie's got to play first. I know a lot about teams that aren't playing right now. <laughs> right. Ky- well, Kyrie's got to actually get on the court. Kyrie's not telling us what's the problem either. That and you know you mentioned guessing. He he's got his franchise guessing. It seems like you know he just. I mean he just you know was missing work for like ten days and. Um, again, as an aside, I, I will say this is as an aside, especially sitting here on MLK Day, uh, pretty damn cool. The news that came out from Stephen Jackson today that Kyrie bought yes. uh, George Floyd's Facts. family a home. Um, and so, though. you know, I do. We've talked on the pod before about like, you know, there's no hot takes coming from here. Let Kyrie speak for himself whenever that time comes. But on the basketball side, uh, there's a ripple effect here. And. You know, I just, again, I just wonder how it's going to work with him. Uh, no, by the way, guys, James admitted in his press conference, somebody asked him very directly um, whether he had talked to Kevin and Kyrie about, like, elements of sacrifice and how this could work. And, and, and listen, I don't know if he was telling the truth, but if we're taking it at, at taking him at his word, he just very definitively said they had not talked about this stuff at all, which blew my mind because, to me, you know, you want to be having that job interview, so to speak, and talking to these guys to get a comfort level before you decide to jump. So if that's true, I mean, that, you know, kind of made me wonder even more how it's going to go. Would we all agree that Kevin Durant and James Harden are clearly the two best players on this team? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. So that's just how NBA pecking orders work. Kyrie Irving, if this doesn't go well this year, Kyrie Irving will very likely be the name that will be floated out there as like, you know, hey, kid. Kyrie to get pieces that might fit and, and Kyrie's you know not uh you know he he probably understands that too so yes I, I agree with you like spotlight is on him because he's probably gonna have to sacrifice the most shots and he's probably the has the shakiest future on the franchise right I could see James and Kevin going look you know we did our thing in the playoffs <laughs> so we might need to figure something out right otherwise we're, we're a long Kyrie way away Phoenix. from that but yeah they're just <laughs> Those dynamics are at play, and I assume Kyrie knows that, right? He probably knows he's the third best player on the team, and that's just—I mean, but this was his plan. That's That's where I guarantee you, it's not going to land well. This was his plan, you know. I mean, his plan was to be the number two. I mean, I think it really comes down to who's taking that last shot. You know, if if it comes down to a game and it's 109, 108, and there's 11 seconds left, all three are going to be asking for the ball. So who's going to get that ball? Right. Right. Joe Harris. <laughs> Joe Harris is going to get the ball. That's how DeAndre, it works. Steve Kerr took the shot. That's that's how it's going to work. Yeah. Paxton as we took the speak, shot. As we speak, I'm staring at my TV uh, above uh, my laptop here. Man, it looks weird to see James in that jersey. Uh, I almost felt like he should the, – the Nets game is starting. I felt like he should uh, 
he should have shaved the beard just to like have a complete clean slate. But I, I think he's probably never going to do that. But there it is. James Harden in that Nets jersey. All right, gentlemen, let's let's pivot. And and Kelly, you're more than welcome to jump into the next topic. If you got to go, let me know. Uh, you've had a long couple of days. By the way, guys, Kelly Kelly bounced from Houston to San Antonio and back, covering games. Jump? Did they have you up in the rafters? Dude, that is the worst arena Center, in the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> AT and T Center. I don't disagree. AT Center. I do not disagree. I'm sorry for all the talk of Spurs culture and stuff like that. Maybe it's because the fans weren't there, but that building has no swag to it. Like I was just sitting there, like, what the hell? You're gonna get Tom James way Spurs out of PR downtown. Call. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Don't it's let me get downtown. started on the San Antonio City Planners because that's the Ke- Kelly. You, you don't consider the fact that they they promote that they've won the rodeo of the year like twelve straight years as a <laughs> they're, swag. They're the only they're the only contestant. It's like saying it's like the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where where Max talking about his mom being the head of Jiffy Lube and Charlie saying there's only three people that work there. It's not a pretty. <laughs> I'm wow. sorry. I like this, Kelly. You got to come back more. We don't have enough pop culture on here. Man. Hey. I like that. Fred has all that for me. Fred got it. There you go. There you go. All right, Kel. Thank you, man. We appreciate Peace. you. Great job on the story. Yes, sir. I'll take care. All right. Be good. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right, guys, uh, this is going to be right up. Fred's alley. Uh, Fred, I know you like the game of basketball. You enjoy covering the game of basketball. You ain't covering any basketball right now, my friend. You are covering the medical beat. Um, COVID continues to do its thing within the NBA circles. I might have lost track and tell me if you guys have the updated number here. I think after a game got postponed today, we are now talking about 18 postponements in all, uh, 17 in the last eight days. And that involves, I don't have the exact number, but more than half the league, 16 plus and probably in the 20 area. The question I want to get to, listeners don't want to talk about COVID sports in a lot of ways. They're just a way to get away from those kinds of tough realities. But we are having, I think, you know, a situation where it's now time to debate the substance of this season and uh, the good old kind of asterisk question. Um, these games – are hard to gauge because guys are out, guys are in, guys are out, guys are in. So, you know, what does a win mean? What does a loss mean? Um, I guess in general, where are you guys at on, you know, the the, the challenge the league is navigating and, and the impact it's having on the game and the sport itself? So I think there are levels to this because ultimately, if it affects a champion, we're going to put some sort of asterisk. You know, that's just the way it's going to work. If, you know, you looked at that Sixers Nuggets game from a couple of weeks ago and the Sixers right. had a couple of rookies playing 40 some odd minutes. 
Right. What if that's game six in a 3-2 playoff series and a team finds itself you in that situation? You see it in football right now in the playoffs. I mean, the same type of deal. Like 15, the Browns had 15 guys, you know, on COVID protocol. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And so if if you end up with that kind of situation in a playoff game, like, yeah, there's an asterisk. But I think there are levels to this, too, where it's not. In the bubble, for example, when we were talking about is there an asterisk on this champion? We were just talking about it in relation to the champion. And by the way, I really don't think there is one. In retrospect, that's a legit title with the way that it played out. But agreed. for example, I think teams are going to have asterisks on their own season. So for example, the one that I cover, the Wizards, they come into this year where they're saying, all right, we're experimenting with Beal and Westbrook, and this might be the year, and they get off to a bad start, and they're 3-8. and eight. And now they're just ravaged by COVID, right? And they haven't played a game in over a week and they haven't had a practice. And now they have an excuse where when they come back, they're very, very possibly, if not likely, going to be missing a a pretty significant chunk of their roster. And now all of a sudden they can look back on it and say, oh, well, you know, we had had the, the terrible situation where so many of our guys were in protocol for so long. We couldn't practice. We came back. We played with an incomplete roster. And then the season just got out of hand. And if it weren't for that, Maybe we end up coming back and turning things around. I feel like we were right there. And and there are going to be so many, I think, situations throughout the league as these, as these sorts of situations start to compile. And the Wizards have the worst one. But, you know, we've seen players with the Mavs and health and safety protocol. And, you know, all around the league, we've seen guys, teams in bad situations where it's just like a, teams are going to find it difficult to evaluate themselves and evaluate their own future and evaluate... Right. What should we do at the deadline? Because we don't really have a good feel for our roster or anything like that. So I, I think there are like asterisks all around, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the one thing that w- I think will benefit the league is the reality that the playoffs, will, I think they start in May is, is the expectation. I know that's somewhat of a floating date. The second half of the schedule hasn't even been created, but um, I'm very optimistic we're going to be in a very different world come May. I mean, I talked to some people who were like, you know, maybe some form of fans will be in the arenas by playoff time, you know, with this vaccine rollout, which uh, admittedly seems I mean, to be there's, going there's some now, just yeah, not in your yeah, neck of the not, woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll get to the playoffs and it. I think the one through eight bracket, I should say one through 10 with the play and we'll feel pretty representative, right? I mean, when we're talking about, titles and and if we're putting asterisks on titles look we know the lakers are going to be in the playoffs the bucks the nets like the clippers the teams that we actually think have a chance will be there and i think by the time we get there i don't we'll see i might be wrong but i don't think we're going to be dealing with like team-wide outbreaks and stuff just because i don't think i think the world is going to be getting somewhat back to normal uh, at least as far as what i'm reading i'm certainly not an expert well, and this listen that that kind of leads right into this. The vaccination question is is super interesting. I wrote about it last week a little bit. Um, you know, right out the gate when people around the country and the world started trying to figure out when the vaccine would be available, obviously several companies had created one. Adam Silver comes out and says we're not going to cut the line with players. You know, morally they didn't want to do that. Um, now, and I, you know, and this I think is something that people would have different opinions about. There is some chatter, and this is what I got into, that they are exploring different ways in which there could be a win-win potentially between the NBA and government and you know the, the new, a new administration that's coming in. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their transition team has been in touch with the NBA about this topic. So the one idea that was told to me was that you know all over the country, you're going to obviously have vaccine distribution centers. 
And the idea would be that, you know, what if, and again, nothing concrete, just discussions, but what if players became, you know, kind of, uh, you know, spokesmen for this vaccine push? We all know that specifically in the African-American community, there's a lot of understandable skepticism about vaccines. There was a uh, Pew poll back in mid-November that had the percentage at 42%, around 12,000, I think people were polled and 42% of African-Americans said that they would take the vaccine. You're talking 58 who didn't want to. So whether it's Steph Curry, Bradley Beal, LeBron James out there at a distribution center telling people, hey, look at me, I'm getting the vaccine, you should do it too. Um, And then within that, hey, guess what? Now they're vaccinated. I don't know the timing of something like that, but they're looking for whether you call them workarounds or just kind of creative ways to, to do that so that, you know, what's happening right now for them and their product stops happening. One thing that I wonder um, is, and I have no idea what the answer is, but the NBA tends to be a, a pretty solid representation of the rest of the country in terms of what its populace believes. You know, people say, you know, 50% of NBA players are smart and 50% of NBA players aren't as smart because when you take a random sampling of 450 people, they tend to reflect the larger sample size, right? So what I wonder is what percentage of NBA players want to take the vaccine uh, because yeah. and, and how the league is going to handle that, how the league is going to handle any sort of vaccine mandate or anything along those lines, because ultimately the league is going to run a lot smoother if all of its players are vaccinated, or at least the vast majority of its players are vaccinated. I know uh, we know a couple guys, Michael Porter Jr., Dwight Dwight Howard, who have said some stuff about vaccines that I know we don't agree with uh, and that aren't necessarily that aren't true about vaccines. And so I'm sure it's pretty damn understandable, though, if I'm being honest, not not to get into, you know, I mean, that's the one thing I want to measure is I'm certainly taking the vaccine. My family certainly is going to. But the more I've learned about the reason that the skepticism exists in that particular community, I, I would oh, yeah. encourage people who don't know to, to do some research and, and be empathetic as to why folks want to ask questions. Now, yes, I agree. The trust and the, uh, you know, should be there and it's incredibly important for folks to take it. But, you know, the more I learned about that, it's enlightening about why a lot of people uh, are thinking twice and three times about taking it. Yeah, and I th- I think the answer uh, is do not mandate anyone take it, but uh, play people who within the league who have taken it will I assume have a lot looser protocols uh, than the people who haven't, and you know eventually either somebody's like who's so against taking it that they're willing to remain under the strict protocols will do that, or they'll go look I kind of want to. Just like I think our society goes, well, I kind of want to get back to normal, so I guess I might have to take it. Right. Um, so I think that's probably um, the best way to do it, where you don't, you can't mandate an employee do it, but it's like, look, it's basically like getting the golden ticket to back to reality. Right. And, and that's for all of us, right? Like, I want to get back in arenas. You guys want to. I wonder if the um, education has begun from the part of the league yet, and I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I actually, I had a player hit me the other day and was asking very general questions about the vaccine because he had seen what I wrote and you know I wrote back that you know you're talking 95 percent efficacy and and just the immediate response was all right sign me up sounds good you know so I'm sure yeah I know I actually know a few people who have gotten it now at this point my in-laws um I yeah have, my in-laws um, yeah yeah uh I have a friend who's a firefighter so first responder he he's gotten it so it's starting to trickle out there for sure 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash Active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While Active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. It is indeed. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's end with this. We're going to have a little bit of fun on this week's pod and talk about surprises to this season. There's a long list. Uh, we're each coming with one. And uh, I think Fred and I spoiled ours, and, and Slater's the mystery man. Um, you two go first, since we already know. Fair You're going to stay east, Sam. We know you're staying east. I know. So, you always I mean, think I'm the east cuts guy off now. half the league. All right. I'm staying east, and it's not the most creative outside-the-box contribution. Um but it is thematic with this week's pod because we talked a lot about James Harden. There was a time when I really wondered if Raptors president Masai Ujiri would kind of have a deja vu all over again experience and go after Harden in the same way he had Kawhi Leonard a couple of years ago, a fairly similar state of the franchise type situation. You know, DeMar DeRozan back then was Pascal Siakam. Now would he take that kind of a leap and, and try to, you know, get their franchise another superstar, and he didn't. And in lieu of that, my surprise is just the Raptors and how bad they've been. Now, uh, my timing's not great. They've won three out of five, but they're still four and eight. And beyond the fact that they are, you know, the champions once removed, it's just the fact that in the bubble, covering that team against Boston and other games, um, you really got a sense of their championship grit. And that's like this nebulous concept that sometimes probably gets overblown. But I remember watching their games and, you know, the attitude from Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet and different guys and Siakam. I just I didn't necessarily imagine this team stumbling to this degree. And it's all the way down the line. I mean, it's it's Lowry, Siakam, Van Vliet, you know, guys who who typically just play better. Um, they have not got the job done. And, and Nick Nurse didn't forget how to coach, uh, but, man, they are struggling big time. Center, Their center position um, was 
destructive this season, right? With with Serge going to L.A., Mark right. going to L.A., the other right. L.A. team. Right. Um, and I think, you know, Baines hadn't played that well, but they seem to be finding something with Boucher right now, yeah. um, which was, you know, that was a Warriors two-way I was going to say former that, Warrior. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, trust me, they could maybe uh, use him. But I think they're going to have a good run coming up. Like you said, they've won two in a row. They're playing currently right now as we speak, so at this point it might be three in a row. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, uh, but also, you know, Lowry's like, how old's Lowry now? I'm gonna He's gotta be. It. Let's, let's, yeah. let's take bets here as I look it up. Come and say Kyle's 33, 34. I was say 33, yeah. 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 Things would and be then, a lot different for them, by the way, if like, if two Siakam shots. That'd be 35. 34? Yeah. If two, if two Siakam shots go down. Or if two Siakam shot, or if or if two Siakam shots become unnecessary because on the previous possession those shots don't go down. Yeah. All of a sudden they're six and six, and we're talking about them in a different kind of tone right now. True. You mentioned Siakam though. Like, remember, like two years ago, or as he was kind of beginning his rise, like we all probably thought, like at this point in time, he would be an All NBA forward, like perennial All Star, and he just hasn't made that leap. You know, he's probably he's kind of plateaued. Um, maybe even gone a little bit down, and that—that's a big problem for them. Indeed, yeah, no, no question. I also, I, I think this has to be part of the conversation every time we talk about the Raptors struggling. Like those dudes picked up from Toronto, moved yeah. to Tampa as a team on short right. notice. I mean, imagine if we were just displaced <laughs> individually from the place I'm that glad we you live. Said that, I can't, that's, that's we had to live out of a hotel. Of course they're not playing like themselves. Like how could they how could anyone yeah. in any sort of work environment get displaced to another country in a random city in the south and have to live there, live out of a hotel and on top of that not have the restrict like have all of the restrictions you have to live well, with as well. So it's not like you can just chill in your home, you know? That's hard. It's just it's, hard from a lifestyle perspective. It's funny you say that cuz I talked to somebody who had spoken to somebody within the Raptors because the Raptors just did a West Coast trip that included they came out to San Francisco and they the Raptors were saying how wild it is how different country it is basically where they were out in California everything's closed everyone's wearing a mask you know the pandemic has everything shut down meanwhile they're in Tampa a city that is very foreign to them very foreign to the NBA and there's filled bars that are maskless they said maybe maybe 20 percent of the people are walking around in masks um and yeah as that's all swirling around as you're trying to avoid an outbreak on your team it that it is a good point by fred like that's probably uprooted there it's also the fact that we, we overlook know. it is indicative of that we're all stuck in our houses watching games on tv like it's not real anymore you know what i mean like i you know i watched the raptors play and, and it's a passing thought that they're actually in tampa so very good point, Fred. Fred, what is your surprise? Um, my surprise is my most improved player candidate, which I think I think Jeremy Grant is like the ideal most improved player. Like I I voted for for Tatum or for Tatum. I voted His for Ingram last year. Certainly improved as well. Yes, no question. Uh, I voted for Ingram last year, and but I kind of thought Ingram was just kind of the boring. Most improved player, as would Tatum have been, as would even Bam have been. A young guy, early in his career, first round pick, high first round pick, makes a leap, and that's it. Jeremy Grant, second round pick. He's been around for years. He bet on himself to a degree this offseason. He said that. I don't even think to a degree. Like, 
really bet on himself. Yeah. I mean, he did that great piece with James Edwards where James yeah. talked about how black leadership there in Detroit was a big reason why I decided to go there. That was a really cool piece, by the way. People should check that out. Yeah. And but on top went, of that, he wants have, to be the number one guy. Right. So let me, I want to fill in the gaps real quick, Fred. Like the night that he signed, the Nuggets were confused. They were confused. Like, we don't get it. We gave you the same offer that the Pistons gave you. You just went to the Western Conference Finals, and what are we missing? Um, and they didn't get it. Now, you mentioned the piece that James Edwards wrote. Uh, James did a great job, and that really helps you understand where Jeremy's head was at. It's not only one of the few black uh, heads of a front office in the NBA. It's a black head coach in Dwayne Casey, and Jeremy, you know, that was meaningful to him. And But, you know, the basketball side was that offensively, you know, there there were folks on the Denver side who just were confused, partly because they just had gotten used to seeing him clean up everybody else's junk offensively and didn't know that he wanted to grow like he wanted to. And and he's opening a lot of eyes with his ability to do that. Who who other than Jeremy Grant saw this coming? Uh, right. You know, when 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 we heard word that he wanted a bigger offensive role, he wanted to be a guy who could handle the ball and and create buckets for himself. I, I just we never saw him come close to doing that at all. You know, there were times earlier in his career before he became more of a spot up guy when he was in Philly and OKC where he'd get the ball and he wouldn't really have a move. He'd go through the legs. It wouldn't take him anywhere. And then he would just kind of barrel at the rim and he became pretty good at drawing fouls, but that was kind of his only thing. And like you look at it now, Blake Griffin's giving him nothing. I mean, Blake Griffin is giving them nothing and his usage rate. He's never had a usage rate above 18% which means basically he's been responsible for less than a fifth of the offense every single year of his career. So below average, which is 20%. He's up to 26 now, by far his career high, and his efficiency has remained exactly the same. Normally, those two things have an inverse relationship. He's scoring incredibly efficiently. He's averaging 25 a game. I mean, he's doubled his scoring now. The passing needs to get better. I think in some ways the decision-making needs to get a little better, but his shot selection has been really good. He looks smooth. He looks comfortable. He's going to average 20-something a game this year. We'll see if he stays at 25. He's shooting 39% from three, but which which he's always done, but now he's taking twice as many threes. He's he's just been really impressive, and I I just never saw this coming. I he He's a really good player. Troy Weaver should get some credit too. Hundred um, percent. You know, as far as people who saw it coming, I assume Troy Weaver did. You know, I, I didn't love his summer. You know, his initial summer in the front office, but part of um, the bad marks Troy was getting, you know, I, I guess uh, league wide by national writers was assuming that the Grant contract wasn't good. But it's turned out, at least so far, like you know, how many teams now, if you put Jeremy Grant back out on the market right now, would say, yeah, we'll we'll take him for that contract. I think a lot. So, by, by the way, he's also the best defensive player on the Pistons. Yeah, I mean, you know, not low bar, but yeah. No, but he's a good defender. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He's he good. I, guards you know, guards every position. Versatile, Sam, I'll do, smart. I'll, I agree. and I'll do the transition to my surprise because it, it, it coincides. I'll go west because Sam wants to tilt everything so easy. I do. But, Hold on. Before you pivot, Slater, I just got a shout out because yeah. you, you talked about the contracts on the Pistons. John Hollinger, I think John's probably okay, and obviously the Athletic Zone and, and legendary John Hollinger. 
Um, I think John's probably good with the, the Grant contract. That the Mason Plumley one is the one that that he's tweeted about at least a dozen times, and that sends oh, him yeah, over the edge. One. You know, three years, twenty five million. For, Combined uh, for, with the Dwayne Dedman stretch, that you know, it was yes, that was yes, a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Continue. My surprise. Uh, um, Nikola Jokic it leads the NBA in assists right now, um, and he's our. I would say probably a top three MVP candidate. I mean, the guy's taking his game to another another level, really kind of trampolining off the playoffs. Yet Denver is not even in the playoffs right now. They're six and seven, and I just think those—that's my surprise. You know, you combine those two together. If I told you the type of opening to the season Nikola Jokic is having, yet you know the team that was in the West Finals last year, right now I think it's like the eleventh seed, at six and seven. Um, it's kind of a stunner, and the reason why I said it coincides with Grant is because what Fred's mentioning—they're missing. Jeremy Grant's defense. They're missing some of that supplementary scoring. Um, they're missing Michael Porter Jr., who's been in COVID protocols now for, I think, about two or three weeks. Uh, yeah, um, he actually had COVID. Malone had a little yeah. bit of a slip-up and shared that the other day. Yeah. Um, Jamal Murray, you know, it was kind of the bubble doubt. You know, Sam, you were giving me a little, little bit of hell when I even questioned if Jamal Murray was going to maintain that. Damn but it. he's been back to... Jamal Murray from past yes. years, right? Which is which is hot and cold, hot and cold. You know, twelve. Man, forget points, about Jamal. I don't want to. I don't need to hear about Jamal Murray. What about me, guys? What about me and my work in the bubble versus now? Like, did I have a good run in the bubble and and now I'm a fraud and and now I'm back to my normal standards? What What about the NBA writer perennial bubble all-star. effect? He, he he's a perennial all star. <laughs> Although I wanted to hear some more Amic Sacramento Kings takes. I, I saw some of that game yesterday. That's that's where you're missing. No, that I was defense. Gonna... Oh my God, that Kings defense. Well, no, but you know what's funny is Kelly mentioned. I think it was Kelly. Um, just the 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 COVID effect and how it's hard to read all these things and plan and and, and I think he was talking about what the Rockets are going to do going forward. The Kings, um, and I need to make some calls on this. Like normally, you know, I'd be I'd be hitting up a lot of folks right now trying to find out if Luke Walton was in trouble. You know what I mean? And like the hot seat. Uh, topic all over the NBA is going to be interesting to monitor this time around because, again, if you can't figure out, you know, what these different games mean, then how culpable do you find the coaches? I, I think it's going to be a different calculus because of the the uniqueness of the landscape. But anyway, you cut it. Kings got off to an okay start. Their defense is just atrocious, you know. But I mean, if they did something with Luke, you know, Alvin Gentry sitting there as his right-hand man. And, and, you know, I love Alvin, but he's never been, uh, you know, a, a defensive-minded coach. So I don't know what they're going to do, but it's that has definitely been ugly the uh, the last couple of weeks. All right. Well, see, I roped him into a, a You did. Things, you, so. did. <laughs> you did. You did. And the Nuggets, they're, are the Nuggets going to? They're giving the up 120 gonna, points per 100 possessions, by the way. It's amazing. Marvin Bagley has a lot to do with that. All right, it's really rough. No Kings talk. It's depressing. It's the locals are are very uh, very upset about this. Thank you for the time. Always a good time. We enjoyed breaking down all things James Harden. Uh, it's MLK Day. Uh, hopefully, you get a little breather tonight. Watch this next uh, Nets Bucks game and and do your thing. But appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming uh, on. I, Sam, I do not have a breather. Lakers, Warriors is the nightcap. So, um, yeah, I got to well, cover that. You only that. have and 70. You got 16 other Warriors, Riders. Can't you just pass the bike? 
<laughs> oh my! Uh, no, this is, this is this is an interesting one. The the listeners will have already known how uh, how it went down. But yes, Lakers Warriors night. All right, well, for damn it, Slater, since you wrote me into Kings talk, you know, forty five seconds. Uh, the Warriors are still very interesting. What what do you make of the latest iteration? You know, a couple of W's, and lately they can't defend enough to finish it off. What's what what are we uh, making of the Warriors right now? Draymond Green is their barometer. Uh, they were terrible without him. Uh, and then he came back and looked like himself. And they had a really good homestand where he looked refreshed and back to the, at least the 2019 version, even though he does not score at all. He's just everything else he does. And then they went into Denver and he played arguably the worst defensive game I've ever seen him play. And they played poor defensively. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many full throttle Draymond Green defensive games he has in the tank this year. But if you told me that number, I would give you their likely number of wins because like right right now that's where i'm at on them like they'll be good defensively if he's good and they won't if he's not so very good fred here's to hoping you you start covering actual basketball again hang in there brother oh i just hope everybody's healthy and then uh and then we get to do the thing that we like which is watch basketball and talk about basketball no doubt no doubt all right guys appreciate you have a good week